As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's Waiver Friday's. April 29th, as we close out the first month of this season, Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. We're talking about shallow league bats to consider, deep league bats to consider. We'll look for some pitchers as well. We have a prospect debuting on Friday that we might be interested in picking up in some leagues this weekend. So we'll talk about what to expect from him. We'll dig around through a few old names that have added a few new tricks and see if there's some longer term value there. And of course, we'll take a ride on the closer carousel at the end of the show to see if there's anything we can do in our never ending pursuit of saves. But Al, we start with bats and we start with shallow leagues where I think Taylor Ward has become the player of the week from a fantasy perspective. He's jumped from being rostered in 19% of CBS leagues to 71% of CBS leagues. I guess the question really just boils down to what kinds of leagues are you in where you're not considering picking up Taylor Ward, seeing the playing time that he's getting and the opportunity he has to lead off for an Angels lineup that at least at the very top stacks up one through five or one through six as well as just about any lineup in the American League right now? Well, I don't think it's an automatic for me for, for 10-team leagues. And for 12-team leagues, I, I certainly I think you got to make a bid for Taylor Ward. But I also, I you know, I'm not completely buying what he's doing. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not the only one. And and that's not to say that I don't think that Taylor Ward couldn't make a contribution uh, in 12-team leagues. But with that uh, trend that you just mentioned, no surprise that Ward is the most added player on both CBS and ESPN. So I imagine that in fab bidding this weekend, probably the, you know, it's going to take a lot to win Taylor Ward. And I'm not really willing, particularly in 12-teamers, because that's really what you're talking about. I mean, he's, he's spoken for already in the deeper leagues. In 12-teamers, I don't think I'm willing to go more than like 6% on Ward uh, because this is above and beyond what he's done in the past. He's actually, one stat that if people read the waiver column or you know listen to our podcast, they know I really like exit velocity on flies and liners. It really is a good indicator of power. And he's averaging somewhere around 90 miles an hour, which is which is actually really low on flies and liners. So I can't quite make that square with the numbers he's putting up. 
I look at him versus someone else that you put on the show sheet for today, Max Kepler, who was drafted in a lot of leagues, most leagues, I would say, back during March. And Max Kepler is rostered in a lower percentage of CBS leagues than Taylor Ward already in leagues where both are available. Do you have a preference, a strong preference for one over the other? I have a preference for Ward. Uh, I, I think there's a lot more batting average upside there um, and maybe similar power. But uh, Kepler, the part of the reason I put him on the sheet and included him in the column this week is that the, the Twins have a fantastic schedule coming up. So they've got four games at Baltimore, three games at home against Oakland where they are not projected to face either Montas or Blackburn. So yeah, that's a pretty nice schedule and Kepler's the one twin hitter who I think you could you could add all all you know into twelve teamers uh, you know going on waivers where other twins you know maybe you aren't able to get them but but Kepler should be available and one who could make a difference this week. Yeah, it might not be a guy that stays on your roster permanently in more shallow leagues, but could have that short term value with a maxed out schedule and a lot of good matchups sprinkled in there as well. So I think that's a very good call. Yeah, and I want to add, actually, the Twins have um, a really good schedule, like, almost all month. Like, week after this, I think they've got the Astros. Uh, I forget who the other team is, but then after that, it's actually it's a really good schedule for the whole month. So, just something to, to think of, too, uh, maybe not ditching Kepler after just the one week. The other uh, Angels outfielder that's getting some love in more shallow formats, he's already rostered in most deeper leagues, is Brandon Marsh. And I think with Marsh, there was a lot more excitement from me back during draft season with him and and Joe Adele than there was with Taylor Ward. I think I'm guilty of sort of assuming that when the Angels decided to move on from Justin Upton, they were doing it to play both Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele alongside Mike Trout in their outfield. And maybe I misread the situation If it ends up being one where Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele are sharing a spot, Marsh is the lefty, so he plays more. If it's a straight platoon, and Marsh has the added ability to play center field really well, which also kind of pushes his playing time up a bit higher as well. Uh, Just looking at Brandon Marsh, what's your expectation for him now with Ward's emergence? Uh, yeah, I think that there's obviously, like you say, a risk of him being something less than an everyday, everyday player, but he's also, he's hitting really well right now too. So I think, you know, that's a good thing to raise too, in terms of a caveat for Ward, that maybe what you're seeing right now, especially if you do have regression coming, maybe his playing time isn't quite as secure. So I think, you know, all three of those players, that's, that's a bit of a concern, but I think it's worth bidding you know a, a few percents of your your fab budget also to get marsh if you can because uh, he's brought the strikeout rate down which is really critical for him because as a line drive hitter when you combine the the likely high babip with a more moderate strikeout rate suddenly he becomes a contributor in the batting average category he gives himself more of a chance to to steal some bases that's a, it's a pretty good profile And it looks like the Angels are among the teams willing to run early on this season, tied for second with 14 steals entering play on a Friday. I believe they've racked up a few caught stealing along the way, too. So plenty of green lights in Anaheim right now. Bodes well for the chances of Brandon Marsh emerging to help us, at least as like a fourth or fifth outfielder in mixed leagues where available. Uh, I'd put Andrew Vaughn more in this shallow league conversation as well. I really like what he's doing so far. Plate discipline skills going in the right direction, making a lot of hard contact and becoming an increasingly important bat for the White Sox with the injury to Eloy Jimenez. I think Vaughn more so than anybody that we talked about so far is is a must add everywhere. 
And granted, I mean, we are talking about towards the shallow end of the spectrum because, again, he's he's been picked up, uh, you know, in, in lots of deeper and, and uh, like twelve team type leagues. But I think you know, ten team, shallow twelve team, uh, Vaughn needs to be everywhere because with Jimenez out for at least a month and a half, maybe longer, playing time. I would hope is not concerned at this point for Vaughn. And like you said, DVR, um, yeah, it's, you know, we're not even a month into the season, but it's at the point where you can start to take some of these improvements seriously and uh, the plate discipline, the contact skills, they're all looking much stronger than a year ago. And with somebody like Vaughn, uh, you know, who was an early pick and was expected to have this kind of skill set, fairly or not, um, I take it a little bit more seriously when I see that development coming. Yeah, and it's kind of borne out right now in the rest of season projections. I was looking at the projections for the Bat X. Andrew Vaughn projected for a 330 Woba the rest of the way. That puts him in company with guys like Carlos Correa, Bo Bichette. I realize Bo Bichette's a legitimate first rounder in fantasy because he also steals a lot of bases. Carlos Correa doesn't run at all. But just just to contextualize what the format, what the, what the system is spitting out right now, for Andrew Vaughn, it's actually very good. So I'm with you, I think. And those shallow leagues where he's still out there, he's absolutely worth picking up wherever possible and worth the extra bucks, too, if you're playing in a fab situation uh, where you can't just scoop him right up off the waiver wire. Uh, I was surprised to see that you had Patrick Wisdom on the rundown because <laughs> I am the permanent Patrick Wisdom skeptic, I suppose. Is there a, a schedule-related reason you like him? Is there something in the underlying numbers that's standing out to you? Uh, what gives you reason to believe that Patrick Wisdom can actually uh, provide something as he continues to play a lot for the Cubs? But I just I see that I see that strikeout rate, and it's it, it's too much for me. I can't convince myself that there's enough there. Well, it's it's not schedule related because the Cubs have a five game week coming up, uh, two against the White Sox, three against the Dodgers, facing pretty good starters all the way around. So this is more of a long term play. I knew there there would be an interesting conversation here. <laughs> yeah, I know that you're a skeptic. I've been a skeptic too. But the way I let off the the waivers column this week is, uh, and I'm you know paraphrasing myself here because I don't remember exactly what I wrote, but you know something along the lines of how many strikeouts are too much and. With uh, Wisdom, yeah, he's, you know, creeping up on 40%, but he's not striking out as much as Joey Gallo. And you think about the the trade-off that a lot of us made, even in shallow leagues, to get Gallo's power, to get his on-base skills, um, uh, and, and know that you were going to get a lot of strikeouts and you weren't going to get batting average from him. Right now, Patrick Wisdom is profiling very, very similarly to a good Joey Gallo, which you're not getting yet. Um, so he's walking more. Uh, he is hitting with more uh, or with greater exit velocity on flies and liners than anybody else with, uh, I think it's at least 15 flies or liners combined. Uh, so that's a pretty low threshold. And he's still at the, at the top of that list. Um, so it's, it's a question of, you know, how much are you willing to sacrifice batting average to get right now, one of the best power hitters in the game. And the other thing that you mentioned playing every day for the Cubs hitting in a, in a reasonably high, high spot in the lineup that you're going to get some run production with the home runs that are likely to come. And, you know, I think that's got some appeal even in, in 12 team leagues. Yeah. I, I, I think third base is also not as deep as we're accustomed to. So maybe that forces you if you're chasing because of an injury to consider someone like wisdom in a format where you previously didn't, um, I will still remain skeptical of this working, even though from a WRC plus perspective and a power perspective, he's held his own to this point, despite striking out just under 40% of the time 
uh, since breaking through with the Cubs last season. I start looking a little bit deeper. There's one name that's going to be available pretty much everywhere because I don't remember anybody drafting this guy. Richie Palacios, who's up right now in Cleveland. And if you look at the schedule since he debuted earlier this week, the Guardians on Monday and Wednesday actually saw right-handed starters. And on Tuesday and Thursday, they saw left-handed starters. And we see a possible platoon developing here. But Palacios could actually emerge to be on the larger side of a platoon with someone like Oscar Mercado. And I think I can justify that. Now, fortunately, before weekly waivers run in most leagues, we'll get a few more games to make sure that Cleveland wants to keep him in the fold and that that's how they intend to use him. But I wonder if they've seen enough between you know 2019, 2020, 2021 from Oscar Mercado in the early part of this season to be comfortable moving him into a smaller role and to see what Palacios can possibly do at the big league level. Yeah, it is shaping up to be that platoon-type situation that would favor Palacios. But like you said, we have a few more games to see what sort of lineup comes out. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's intriguing. Uh, I don't think you can expect to get very much power from from Palacios, but uh, stolen bases are, are a definite uh, part of the picture here. Batting average, perhaps. So... You know, I, I had some hopes for, for Mercado because he was hitting with a lot of power out of the gate, but that's all he was really giving. And I guess the Guardians, maybe they just, uh, you know, they want to see maybe a more complete hitter. But in, in any event, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And uh, I think uh, if, if Palacios does uh, uh, continue to play over the weekend, that uh, he'll be worth some bids in 15-teamers. Yeah, probably because of the speed alone, I could see him becoming a 5% of your budget sort of player if things are, are looking good. Uh, look ahead to the next week. There's only one lefty currently lined up to face the Guardians. They've got a six-game week. If you're playing the NFBC where you've got the partial weeks, the lefty is Blake Snell. He shows up in the first part of the week. Then he gets three righties during the, the weekend portion of things. It is the Blue Jays, so he's got Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa uh, around the corner. But could be some opportunities for him to take that playing time and run with it. And looking even further ahead, they've got a series against the White Sox. They've got a series against the Twins. So a lot of righties coming up the week after that as well. So a clear watch list player for these next 48 hours, but someone that you could see popping to get some reasonable bids in deeper leagues in Richie Palacios. Uh, Christian Walker continues to come up as a oft available option on the corner. Uh, I'm surprised he's not getting added more often, Al. What's the problem here? I know the, the surface numbers have lagged a little bit for him so far, but the underlying metrics are really encouraging. Yeah, and that that's what I wrote about in the uh, in the waiver piece this week. So yeah, I, my guess is that the problem is that he's hitting 157. And um, that is certainly going to change. That's very much Babbitt driven. It's not like he's uh, you know turned into Patrick Wisdom in terms of the strikeouts, but he is hitting for for a lot of power. It looks. I mean, if you look at the profile, and again, you know, I'll probably keep saying this for at least the next couple of weeks. I mean, we are still dealing with fairly small samples, but right now that uh, profile that that Walker has looks very much like the profile that he had prior to 2021. So last year, right now, is looking like an outlier and not like the beginning of decline for Walker. So I think this is a great time to get in uh, before that batting average does start to rise and it is going to be more costly in fab. Yeah, playing time remains steady. He's swinging less at pitches outside the zone right now, uh, walking a bit more than he did a year ago. We know the power is, is legit and I think some of the 
some of the things we were worried about with Christian Walker also may have been health-related as well. Barrel rate early on this season up at 15.4%, so a huge bounce back from the 6.4% that he posted a year ago. Not surprisingly, with the barrel rate up, hard hit rate also up. They tend to move together. Uh, but a few other names that I think are pretty interesting. Uh, someone sent us a, a message earlier this week. It was uh, one of our listeners, Terry, who just sent Santiago Espinal, and the subject line was, Nando guy, question mark. So we, we talked about him a little bit on Under the Radar. Getting a crack at this lineup with any player and, and just getting the counting stats that can come along with regular or semi-regular playing time, I think does make a player like this interesting. Uh, is there anything you see with Santiago Espinal that could make him a better pickup for the long haul than people realize? Uh, well, for one, I guess the, the most obvious thing is just that he's playing pretty much every day for the Blue Jays. So even though it's at the bottom of that lineup, pretty much wherever you slot into the Blue Jays lineup, I I view that as a good thing. And he's still doing what he did before, which didn't really gain him much much notoriety in fantasy, which is being a good contact hitter. But to that, he has added quite a bit more power. And prior to this year, he had 312 plate appearances. He had four barrels total. He already has five so far this year in 69 plate appearances. So, uh, you know, will this last? I don't know, but I figure at least in deep leagues, it's it's worth taking a flyer in Espinal uh, just to see see where that goes. Yeah, I think he's the sort of player, if you were a few weeks ago maybe interested in Ramon Urias in Baltimore and you're not happy with how the season has started for him, you're looking at Espinal as someone who's in a better lineup, maybe hitting lower in the order consistently. Similar skills, similar versatility just might be going in the right direction. So I think that's the type of, of league in which you're you're considering Espinal at this point. Uh, I see Joey Wendell in the mix again. He's eligible middle and corner with third base and shortstop in a lot of places. I was worried that Wendell just wasn't going to play enough in Miami this season. So I don't have him anywhere, and I've mostly ignored him to this point. Yeah, I had the same concerns. I did pick him up in one of my 15-teamers just you know, on the the chance that he would get into uh, work his way into more playing time, and that's what's, what's happening so far. Uh, and something I noticed, and I, I hadn't noticed it until I looked into it, uh, just today, actually, was looking at the rotations in the National League East. And there are almost no lefties. There's there's Max Fried, there's Patrick Corbin, uh, Ranger Suarez. That's about it. Hmm. Um, so that's a lot of righties. So even though Wendell, so far, I don't think he has made a start against a lefty. The Marlins haven't faced very many and, and don't stand to face very many, at least within the division. So if you get Wendell, you probably are getting something close to an everyday player. He's already got four steals and four attempts. Uh, that certainly can be a, a part of the package uh, for the rest of the season. And a line drive hitter who can also uh, help you with batting average and runs. Yeah, you wonder too how fluid the top of the lineup might be. I know Jazz Chisholm Jr. is playing really well. You could hit Jazz second if you wanted to. It wouldn't make a big difference. Like I just think if there's a, if there's a path to a higher lineup spot, Wendell gets it because... He hits for a high average. The OBP is okay because he walks a good bit on top of that, and maybe that's enough to put him in a more prominent role. But I hadn't really thought much about how few lefties there are in the NL East. That is a good point for a platoon sort of player like Wendell ending up with more chances than you'd expect as a result of those matchups. Uh, one other hitting situation that I wanted to throw at you uh, today was, was Edward Olivares and Kyle Isbell both getting opportunities with the Royals, probably sharing a spot, which is tricky because it might not be a straight platoon. If it is, Isbell would get to play more as the lefty. We were all 
in the fantasy community hoping for a bigger opportunity for Olivares a year ago, and instead he was on the up-and-down shuttle between Kansas City uh, and Omaha. So this is all the result of Adalberto Mondesi's torn ACL and Whit Merrifield moving back into the infield. How do you stack up Olivares versus Isbell in, in their situation, kind of competing for time against some of the other outfielders we've talked about? Well, yeah, I think that most likely it is a platoon situation, which goes uh, against the, the the benefit of, of both of them. But with Isbell probably getting the the bigger half of that, um, I'd be more interested in him in fifteen teamers. I mean, I, I just think you know, he's he's really intriguing, uh, and I, I like Olivares too. But I just maybe it's just the past record TVR, but. Uh, you know, we've had so many hopes for him coming up and sticking in this lineup. It seemed like there weren't big obstacles, and yet he kept getting sent down. So, to me, maybe that does speak to the way that the the organization views him. And so, I don't really see making any movements this weekend on Olivares, even in I mean, maybe AL, AL only where he's available, but that that would be the extent of it. Yeah, that's been where I kept my interest with those two players because of the of the time share right now, but. They both do something interesting enough where if one could wrestle away a larger share of the job, I think they could play their way onto a a broader radar of, of you know mid-size or at least deep mixed leagues. I mean, Kyle Isbell's speed would play very well on plenty of rosters if he could find a way to overtake a, a larger share of that opportunity in Kansas City. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's shift the focus over to pitching, and we're going to focus on some guys that are widely available. There's a general question, though, that I wanted to answer. This came in on Twitter from Joe McHugh before we started recording, and this is happening in a few of my leagues because we're getting to the end of the first month, and people are getting impatient, especially in 10- and 12-team leagues, but even in some 15-team leagues with pitchers that have really struggled through their first three or four turns. The ratios are bad. Maybe the K rate's a little bit on the low side. Joe wants to know when a useful but boring SP4, SP5 type gets cut in a 15-team league, is it worth an aggressive bid in the 20% range? Names that he threw out there as examples, he's thinking about Eduardo Rodriguez, Alex Wood, Marcus Stroman. Uh, And I've seen, seen I think, at least one of those guys available in one of my 15-team leagues. And my immediate thought was... 20% 20% might be what it takes to get those guys in a 15. I think they're even harder to figure out in a 12 because sometimes the 12-team leagues have a lot of people like me who like to cling on to the players they drafted and they don't spend nearly as much as you think in fab. So how aggressive do you want to be on the the pitchers that have disappointed so far when they do become available? Yeah, well, those pitchers, 
in my in my opinion, should not be dropped at this stage in a 15-team league. So if they become available, to me, that's an incredible boon. And I think you do go aggressive. I mean, 20% to me maybe strikes me as, as a little high, but I, I could certainly see going, you know, 10 to 15 uh, for, for somebody like Eduardo Rodriguez uh, or, uh, you know, the others that you mentioned. Uh, at 12-teamers, yeah, it's a little bit different because uh, just Rodriguez comes to mind because I did have him in a 12-teamer last year. And I, I'm pretty sure I cut him at some point. So I, I, in 12-teamers, there is a lot more fluidity. There's a lot more replaceability on waivers. So I, I still think not out of April yet, I'd be loath to cut somebody like Rodriguez. But if, if, if he became available somehow, I think I'd be going in the 5 to 10% range in a 12-team league. Yeah, see, I, I think I would at least for for Wood, I'd probably push more to that fifteen to twenty percent range in in a league that size. I think he's to me the best of the bunch because yeah. there's more times you want to use him. Um, I think because of the home park, especially his floor is elevated quite a bit. I think Stroman, I'm more in on Stroman than most people, so my bid for him is not too far behind Wood. Erod is the one of the three that I'm most concerned about. I, I think getting out of Boston was a good thing for him. As a lefty, you know, I think that was always kind of an uphill battle because of the monster and the advantage that righties have hitting in that ballpark. At the same time, we've seen this movie so many times from Erod. I think the fact that you've, you remember having him out of 12 and having him go on and off the roster there, that gives you an idea of the type of pitcher he's been for most of his career. We know he can go through these stretches of, you know, a half dozen starts or even a dozen starts where he's pitching to a high four ZRA and a bad whip, and then he reels off a stretch of, of 12 starts with a 250 ERA and a 112 whip. And it's it's annoying because it just seems like he maybe falls out of sync or, or it's just something something to do with his his approach that causes this to happen this way. But uh, I'm definitely Alex Wood first, Marcus Stroman second, Eduardo Rodriguez third, if you happen to have guys like that available, whether it's a shallow league or, or something a bit deeper. And I think you can be aggressive because we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is a great point that you made that's really stuck with me. I don't think we're going to have a lot of big-name prospects coming up. We have one we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Uh, but the, the Fabapalooza that we're used to having you know, a week or two from now, it's probably not going to look quite like it did in past years because we had Spencer Torkelson and Julio Rodriguez and a lot of players and Bobby Witt Jr. all debut to begin the season with their respective clubs instead of having the let's wait three weeks, let's wait four weeks, and then promote these players. So... I think it's okay to be a little more aggressive when players you feel should have been rostered all along actually do become available. When the mistake drops or the force drops occur, take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, But the prospect I'm referring to, of course, is Kyle Bradish. He will debut on Friday night, so we have not had a chance to see him yet at the time of this recording. If the schedule holds up, his next turn would come, I believe, Wednesday at home against the Twins. What are you doing with Bradish comparing him to some of the other shallow league pitchers that might be out there and thinking about your own advice and not having a lot of opportunities necessarily to to throw chunks of fab at exciting players getting promoted? Well, I'm I'm really not looking at Bradish yet in 12 teamers. And I guess partly uh, maybe uh, you look at, at the, the room over the weekend, you look at the, the roster trends on ESPN uh, and CBS and see how much uh, and also look at, at Bradish's start on Friday night against the Red Sox too. I think, uh, you know, that's going to 
shape where I'm looking to add him and, and how much I'm looking to bid. Uh, so the, the recommendation that I gave in the column was four to five percent in 14 and 15 team leagues. So that's that's not really quite following the guidelines that maybe I I set out. And, and maybe that's just a reflection of that. Um, I like Bradish, but I don't certainly view him on the level of like Grayson Rodriguez. So I want to, you know, make a bigger splurge when Rodriguez comes up. And I, I don't think it's going to be that long. So, yeah, we'll see if he pitches really well on Friday night. That four to five probably does go up at least a couple percentage points. Yeah, that, that's sort of the the baseline of what you expect, and you have to salt to taste based on how good the first start looks, how the how the stuff plays. I think with Bradish, I'm looking at the projections right now. These are the rest of the season projections from the bat. Uh, 83 innings, I mean, that could obviously be adjusted accordingly. About a strikeout per inning, looks like a, a 130, 139 whip is expected, which is to me, what you're looking at with someone that you would probably move in and out of the lineup, especially being in the AL East, right? I mean, even if Camden Yards is going to play a lot more neutral than it has in the past, you still have to be careful throwing guys like Kyla Bradish against the Jays and maybe against the Red Sox and probably against the Yankees, at least on the road. So there's going to be some times where you're playing it pretty safe with him. But this is a good enough projection. When you look at the other names that have similar ratios, they're guys that are consistently rostered in 15-team leagues. And some of them are, are guys like Spencer Strider, who people like me have been trying to hold on to for the last couple of weeks, hoping for a rotation spot. At least Bradish begins his big league career with that opportunity in hand. So I'm with you on the 5%, and I think we could easily bump that up just based on what we get to see in his debut. Uh, numbers at AA showed improved control, or numbers at AAA showed improved control compared to what we saw at AA last year from Bradish as well. Tiny sample, but certainly encouraging. So I just want to see the command and the control too. Is that actually there? Is that problem that he had a season ago actually fixed at this point? Uh, Christian Javier might be out there in some shallow leagues. If he is, he's probably my favorite pitcher available. I think this is one of your last chances to scoop him up. Matchup coming up this week is home against Seattle. It's mostly a two-pitch mix, even though he has four pitches he can throw. Uh, But I look at Javier as a guy that, probably gets used in an optimal way by the Astros. I don't think they're going to overexpose him. It's kind of like the way we talk about Rays pitching. I just trust that Houston's going to do the right thing when it comes to putting Christian Javier in positions to be successful. Yeah, I agree. So for that reason, I think that you have to be, first of all, I think you you do try to get Javier where you can uh, this weekend. He may be available in a few deeper leagues, but we're mostly talking about 12 teamers here. And uh, so you you grab them even in those formats, but you just, I guess you don't do it if you don't have bench spots. <laughs> but if you do have a bench spot, I think that Javier is a priority for those uh, because I think when, when he does get to start, he's going to be really effective. And if we're talking about leagues with dedicated RP slots, he could be one of the, the most valuable Sparps out there this season. So it's a little bit format dependent, but yeah, the, the skill set's fantastic. So I think he does merit uh, a really patient approach. I think behind the likes of, of Bradish and Javier, it's much more open in terms of the pitchers you'd be thinking about adding in shadow leagues and, and how long you want to add those pitchers, obviously, is a, a matter of how your roster is constructed in many cases. Glenn Otto uh, is the name that Eno brought up earlier in the week. He suggested 12-team mixed leagues were a possibility for him. 
there was an AL only league I play in where Otto was available last night because we have Thursday night fab. So I was surprised that he was only 5% of my budget to get. I didn't bid aggressively because I didn't really have a need, but hey, you can never have too much pitching stashed away on your bench. I actually think it's going to take probably closer to 5 to 7% in a lot of mixed leagues where Otto is available. But do you believe that there's enough here for Glenn Otto to be consistently viable in more shallow mixed formats? Is he someone that deserves a roster spot in a 10 or a 12-team league if he's still available? I'm sort of in wait-and-see mode, but that's dangerous because I think he is the sort of pitcher who, given what the peripherals are and given that, you know, in our community, people <laughs> people will see those same peripherals and uh, might, like you said, you know, bid uh, 7% or so uh, just this weekend. But I, I do have some doubts about Otto's viability in 12-teamers, but anything deeper than that, he is out there. I'm very surprised he's available in your AL only. I wish that were true in my AL onlys. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, anywhere uh, deeper than 12 teams where he's available. I, I didn't recommend 7%, but I, I don't really have a problem with it either. I'm looking at the schedule too. He's at Philly for his next turn. Tough matchup in a tough yeah. park. Just had one against Houston. I know the Astros don't have Jose Altuve right now, and he pitched reasonably well in that spot. Actually pitched very well. If you skip ahead to the following week, and if you're playing this game where you're trying to get two-start pitchers a week early because you've got room on your bench, Glenn Otto would be a two-start pitcher the week after this week. He's got the Royals, and he's got the Red Sox. Both of those starts at home, so I think you'd want to try and make sure you get them for that at the very least in more shallow formats if your roster is flexible enough for that. Um, I'm intrigued for sure, and I just think there's a there's a path for him to keep a spot given the needs that they have for quality innings right now in that Texas rotation. I think the next guy I wanted to bring up is one of the most difficult players for me to trust because I thought I had him figured out, and it's Jake Junis. Right now he's working kind of in a bulk role for the Giants. I mean, they've, they've thrown an opener a handful of times already this season. Junis, schedule-wise, would line up to face the Dodgers on the road and the Cardinals at home. So this is going to be a great test. He's got a new pitch mix featuring a changeup. So it's really a lot of sliders and changeups for Junis. So far, so good. But are you buying this anywhere right now? Not really. Um, I, I am a skeptic. And uh, with the new pitch mix, maybe maybe this will you know turn out to be just a, a, another gear for Junis. But you know, I'm also looking at the fact that the two appearances that he's made as a a follower uh, behind Sam Long were against the Athletics and the Nationals. Those are pretty favorable matchups. So over the longer term, I have questions about how those numbers are going to hold up. I have questions about what Junis's role is going to be. So I, I'm actually a little bit more interested in Keegan Thompson who's putting up really good numbers in a, in a kind of a similar role. And I feel like there's a better long-term path for Thompson to actually get a rotation spot. Yeah, I think this was a interesting thing that came up on Under the Radar earlier this week. Ian brought up Keegan Thompson as someone who was really kind of catching his eye for deeper leagues. And what's the cutoff for guys like this who don't have a spot now? And maybe they don't have the filthy, filthy stuff that someone like Spencer Strider does and you know, we talked about Ronzi Contreras before he got sent down as some people were trying to stash. These guys in the early season, these glue guys, like I, I felt like a big part of what made Keegan Thompson effective to begin the season was just that the the makeup of every roster, having more players on it, having guys who weren't as stretched out because of the shortened spring training, it really opened the door for bulk relievers to be valuable in, in ways that I... I should have anticipated, but I just didn't really position myself 
to leverage. I was aiming for just regular starters that I could trust more. And, and maybe in deeper leagues, that's a correction I can make, but I think it's still really difficult to know how valuable someone like Thompson or even someone like Junis could be in a more shallow format. Yeah, well, you know, with somebody like Strider, uh, who we've talked about, you know, pretty much since the first week, uh, you, you know, you, you see the obvious appeal there. But I, I think that's, you know, with 2020 hindsight, we can say, oh, well, maybe we should have been targeting bulk relievers more. But I know, you know, as somebody who has been impressed with Thompson in the past, I mean, I wasn't really expecting him to have any kind of significant role this year. And I didn't know how well his stuff would, would hold up uh, against major league hitters. Jake Junis, like you said, you, you know, we've seen him enough to think that we knew who he was. So it's kind of hard to project these things one or two weeks into the season. Now that we're getting close to a month in, um, you know, there's still an opportunity and we have, we have more information on which to, to make these decisions. So I think now's a, now's a good time to try to roster somebody like like Thompson or Junis. And again, my, my preference is for Thompson because I, I do see that opportunity for him to continue to have a prominent role or maybe have an even more prominent role down the road. I'm going to roll the dice on Junis instead if I have to only take one. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. You could see Keegan Thompson being in the rotation in August easier than you could see it with Junis given the way these two teams are built. But I actually think with Junis, that change is pretty nasty. And I think he went from being a guy that had one good pitch and nothing else to probably two good pitches and still a shaky fastball. It just seems like the Giants know exactly what buttons to press to make him as viable as possible. I think they're both sort of get through the week, get through the month sort of pitchers. They're not necessarily guys you're all that excited about for the long haul anyway. Gather that extra info, make that longer term decision maybe a week or two from now if you're able to do that. I want to know, are you buying Chris Paddock's adjustments as we're looking at players that are actually pretty widely available? Chris Paddock's available in about 65% of CBS leagues right now. I imagine he'll be a popular streaming option in shadow leagues, though. He's got Oakland at home for his only start during the upcoming week, and they've made a couple of adjustments with Chris Paddock this season. He's always had good control, still showing that uh, early on here this season, but Chris Paddock's Despite the fact that his fastball velocity is down, he's throwing it less. So we're seeing more curveballs and more changeups in the overall pitch mix. I like that change. Is it just a streaming opportunity or is there something more there with Paddock? I really do think there's something more there. Um, and obviously, it's a great streaming opportunity. We'll also get the chance to watch Paddock, uh, Paddock pitch on Sunday against the Rays, which will be, so far, uh, one of his tougher matchups, actually. So uh, I, I certainly want to be encouraged uh, to see how he does against a team that's sort of in the middle of the pack offensively as as opposed to the, the Royals and Tigers, who he's faced more recently. Um but you know what's funny is DVR that you, you know you're referring to the adjustments that Pack has made, and yet the the end result is a profile that looks exactly like the Chris Pack of old, with a, a decent swinging strike and called strike rate and uh, pretty good ability to to uh, also manage contact. So you know if you like the Chris Paddock of you know two or three years ago, then I think you should like this this Chris Paddock, even though the pitch mix is a little different. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think at the very least, take a chance on him for this matchup against Oakland. Even if things don't go all that well against the Rays, he might be a temporary solution for you in more shallow formats. But I like the skills. And the only reason I was bailing early in draft season is because I was worried about his arm health. So far, so good on that front. So I think he can actually help quite a bit. Twins looking good to begin the season as well. So the team context might be a tick better than some of us expected even you know a month ago. 
at this point. The other guy I wanted to bring up as kind of a fringy shallow league option, he's available in a lot of leagues because I think people are still afraid of Orioles pitchers. It's Bruce Zimmerman. And Bruce Zimmerman's a two-star pitcher this week. He's home against the Twins and home against the Royals. What are you doing with Bruce Zimmerman in leagues where he's available? I may be sliding through a 1% bid in 15-teamers. That I'm sure that's not going to get Zimmerman. I really struggled with this one, DVR, um, because the peripherals are actually, they're, they're legit. Uh, not a 0.93 ERA legit, but, <laughs> you know, they, they look pretty good. But as a guy who's, you know, he's a, a soft-tossing lefty um, who hasn't really had a lot of success previously, I... I just want to see more and it's, it means I'm going to wind up probably waiting too long, but um, I just could see this going very badly. On the surface, that's what I thought too. And then I saw some of the numbers come out of the pitching plus model that Eno has, and it's pretty good. It's above average in terms of location. It's above average in terms of the overall number that the system spits out. It's below average in terms of stuff, which is not surprising for a guy that doesn't throw particularly hard. But this might work. He's got four pitches. We were just talking earlier about Camden Yards not being the the hitter haven that it has been in the past. So I think the the streaming potential is a little bit greater. The same things we mentioned in passing, talking about Kyle Bradish, would apply to Zimmerman. It's going to be a while before you trust him in some of those really tough AL East matchups. But I think this is a spot where you're avoiding the AL East entirely. Yeah, the Twins are good, but... I'll take my chances with Zimmerman at home against the Twins in the first start in a weekly league, but I'm also getting the Royals as part of of that two-step. So I'm in for him as a temporary add, at least in shallow leagues. I know in some deeper leagues, he's already scooped up, but I think this is actually a two-start week that you can jam in there for some of the smaller leagues that are out there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If we start looking a little bit deeper, medium-sized league streams, you've got Chad Cool in the mix this week. I was stunned to see his name on the rundown. What do you see in Chad Cool right now? Uh, well, yeah, if you just look at kind of the, the first-level peripherals, you don't see a good uh, you know good strikeout rate or a walk rate, but he has been you know very, very stingy in terms of allowing hard contact. And um, the slider has been really effective so far. He's got a whiff rate of 32.5% on the slider overall. Uh, I think the whiff rate is, is above 15%. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you've got the usual caveat with um, with Rockies pitchers. But um, this weekend, he's got the Reds. They're the worst offense in baseball right now. So, I mean, if, he, if it doesn't go well there, I'm probably 
not going to make any bids at all. But if that goes all right, then he gets the Diamondbacks who actually rank 29th in WOBA. So, you know, that's uh, not really a tougher matchup than the one that he's got this weekend. So, I, you know, I, I was looking at cool and deeper leagues because he's a Rockies pitcher, because those first level peripherals are not impressive. I could get him with a, you know, a sub 1% bid, I think in, in 15 teamers. And, if he really is getting the swing and miss and, and continuing to keep the ball in the park, you've got somebody that at least you can stream off of your bench. Yeah, I think on the road for a stream in a 15-plus team league as a contingency bid, that's the sweet spot for me. I don't think I'd keep him on my roster for home starts. I think he's just a, a, you know, a chuck and duck. No, that that's softball. He's just, yeah, he's he's one of those guys pitch on the ditch. roster temporarily. Pitch and ditch, that's that's the... That's the old fantasy four one one expression. The pitch and ditch. I think that's what Chad Cool is on the road right now, especially against the D backs. Not an offense that we fear right now. I think the other guys that I put in the medium group are clearly ahead of Cool for me. So I, I get the sense maybe they are for you as well, just based on the way you were describing him. Drew Smiley catches the White Sox at home. It's a dinged up White Sox lineup, as we mentioned a bit earlier. And then Adrian Hauser who gets a home start against the Reds, who have been the worst offense in baseball so far. I don't know if the Reds will continue to be the worst offense in baseball all season. I think there is some correction there. But when I continue to pick on them with lower-end starters, I am much more likely to take those chances when that lesser-skilled pitcher is doing it at home, not at Great American Ballpark. And that's the case for Hauser. So I think I'd probably put Hauser in at the bottom of the list ahead of Cool. I'd probably have Smiley ahead of both because I think Smiley might have the most long-term value of the three. Well, I agree with putting both of them ahead of Cool. Um, we've talked about in past weeks about Drew Smiley not being in my circle of trust. He's there now, even though he's still given up a lot of home runs so far this year. But I, you know, I certainly trust him against the Reds. So I think I think I would go Hauser over Smiley uh, because if nothing else. You know that that Hauser's going to get a lot of ground balls, can limit the damage that way. But they're both good streaming options. As far as the deeper streaming options, non-two-start variety, I had Carlos Hernandez flagged as someone that stood out to me on the road against the Orioles. Again, Park's a little more pitcher-friendly than it has been with the adjustments they made. And I think Hernandez was starting to figure some things out in his most recent outing. Uh, Finally got through five innings against Seattle. It wasn't a gem by any stretch of the imagination, but he was one of the few Royal starters that I actually liked at the beginning of the season. So I think he's streamable, at least in a 15-team league. I don't think you have to pay a lot to actually get him on your roster. I don't know if he's going to stick around on my roster beyond this turn. And then there's Kyle Freeland, right? If you're looking at Chad Cool, I'm going to have to ask you, are you also looking at Kyle Freeland for the deepest of leagues where you're streaming? Uh, No, no, because... you know, whereas you can find something to like in what Chad Cool has done so far this year, you have to dig a little deeper, but you can find it. Cal uh, Freeland's been a, a source of frustration for me because he's somebody that I've I've drafted in several deeper leagues, and I have yet to start him, and that will continue to be the case this week. And I'm not going to be looking to add him in other leagues where I don't have him. All right, let's move on to some other two-start pitchers. I mentioned one earlier, Bruce Zimmerman being kind of a clearer shallow league consideration for me. So 12 teams or less, I would even consider using Bruce Zimmerman if I'm looking for volume. These other names, I think, are more for 14 and 15 team leagues. Maybe Al can argue them into a lineup or two for a 12-teamer. I've got Michael Pineda, home against the Pirates, road against the Astros. Ross Stripling, home against the Yankees, road against the Guardians. And Michael Waka 
home against the Angels, home against the White Sox, all clustered together. And that's the order that I prefer them as streamers right now. I think because Pineda has the easiest of any of the starts that those three guys have, getting Pittsburgh at home for the first part of his two-step. All of those have some risk cooked in for sure. Are you messing around with any of those three where you're looking for innings? The one who I'm actually the most interested in is the one who, from a, a, a matchup's perspective, has the most risk, and that's Ross Stripling, just because I like what he's done so far. And I'm very impressed by the fact that he hasn't given up a home run because that's been the the one sore spot for him the last couple of seasons. So uh, the, the strikeouts are down, but some of the underlying indicators suggest that there'll be more strikeouts or there should be more strikeouts. So I actually trust him more against tougher opponents than I do, say, Michael Pineda against lesser opponents. So I, I at this point, I'd rather just play, you know, make the play for the, the pitcher I like better uh, than look at the matchups. Yeah, I think if you're trying to play the longer game, I understand the interest in Stripling for sure. So consider that a tiebreaker, maybe if you're looking at all three of those guys out of Pineda, Stripling, and Waka. Uh, there's a, a deep league two-start pitcher that I pulled out of the high-risk group, Bryce Wilson, because the matchups are just that good. At Detroit, at Cincinnati, I was just saying a few minutes ago, I'm not always looking to start a lesser-skilled pitcher at Great American Ballpark, this being a two-start week, that's that's where the exception comes in. You're also getting a turn against the Tigers. Is there enough to trust with these matchups with Bryce Wilson in a you know, 15-team mixed league, at least? Even if he's not necessarily on the 10- or 12-team radar, are you considering him for those deeper mixed formats? Probably not, but when you're talking about 15-team uh, mixed leagues, and you know if you're down a pitcher or two because of injury, uh, or you know, just somebody that you can't trust anymore, uh, i.e., Kyle Freeland. Um, <laughs> I would consider Bryce Wilson just for those matchups, but only because of those matchups. So it would be a pitch and ditch situation. It would be that kind of situation where it's like I just needed some innings. Uh, beyond that, I really don't have any interest. All right, so Bryce Wilson is basically the two-start version of like a Chad Cool. I think that's fair. All right. Well, I, but I, I, you I, like, cool I like better. the profile for Cool a little bit better. I actually do. Yeah, I, I can I can get on board with that. I just think the volume here makes it challenging. Where if you if you need to chase some innings, you probably have to go with Wilson. Wilson's skills scare me. These matchups are the only thing pulling me in, and I'm I'm already nervous because I've got Joanna Doan going in a 15 team league. I think he's got the Giants on the road tonight. I'm just hoping for a cool, damp night where the ball's not flying in San Francisco. I I don't I don't think by skills this is going to work out for me. I think it's going to be by weather only. Maybe we're hoping for something similar with Bryce Wilson in that two-step. Um, I dropped a bunch of high-risk guys in the list. Tell me if I'm wrong about any of these guys. I have no interest in Ryan Yarbrough as a possible two-step. It's probably because the workload might not be there. At Oakland would be great as the part of the first part of it. At Seattle... It's a passable second matchup, but I think if you're not going to get enough innings from him, it's not worth taking on the risk. Um, Vladimir Gutierrez, who I think is probably similar to Bryce Wilson, right? If I'm willing to even consider Bryce Wilson, I can't completely dismiss Vladimir Gutierrez based on matchups at Milwaukee, home against the Pirates. But the problem is he's struggling with walks and he's getting rocked. Vladimir Gutierrez has made four starts so far this season. He has not completed five innings in any of those starts so far. So I've been trying to avoid putting him on the bottom of contingency lists as a result of that. 
And then you've got Jake Odorizzi, who I used to like. Projections liked him for a long time. Home against Seattle, home against the Tigers. That theoretically should work, but I just I'm I'm scared by what we've seen from him to begin the season. And then Dakota Hudson at Kansas City at San Francisco. This one's actually more of a, a pitching model of spook for me, where I, I look at the numbers there. I can't get on board with Dakota Hudson, even though I think people might be interested in bidding on him this weekend. Well, of the four that you mentioned, I would by far be the most comfortable with Hudson. And I think I'd actually be much more inclined to go with Hudson than Bryce Wilson, even though the the matchup with the, the Giants definitely makes that a, a tougher road for Hudson. But yeah, I'm with you on Yarbrough. I really was strongly considering including him in the column this week, but then I looked at you know the fact that the last uh, rehab start, I think he went two plus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that what's, what's that going to get you even with a two-start week? Not worth the risk there. And yeah, Gutierrez and Odorizzi, just that could just be a spectacular fail. So uh, could really set you back in just one week uh, with either of those pitchers. So uh, for me, I'm left with Dakota Hudson here. Yeah, I, I, based on results, I think you can quickly move Hudson up. I just think there's a, a possible collapse coming from him. It looks so good on the surface. I'm worried about the walks in particular. He doesn't miss a ton of bats. It just seems like it could go... It could go wrong for you so quickly with Dakota Hudson, but it's a good defense behind him. I know he gets a ton of ground balls. That bodes really well. So maybe it's just being rational that he fits where he's at so well. And these are pretty pitcher-friendly environments for the road, too. A lot of times Dakota Hudson is appealing because St. Louis is such a pitcher-friendly environment. KC and San Francisco is certainly not bad if you're going to take a chance on him. So of the high-risk guys... I think you've got it right. I think he'd be the one of the th- of the three that I'd actually consider. I'm not I'm not considering Ryan Yarbrough at all. I just wanted to mention him because he'd pop up on some two star trackers. Let's get to closers. Are we looking at a committee in Houston now? Is that what's happening until Ryan Presley comes back? It would seem. It would seem, and it, so it's a situation I'm avoiding because it doesn't seem like there's a clear closer temporarily, and the situation is temporary. So uh, that's that's one I'm avoiding, and it's. You know, it's a tough week if you really do need to try to add uh, to your your future saves. Um, Jorge Lopez is out there in some shallower leagues still, and I like what he's done so far. And he seems, well, not just seems, he definitely has that job to himself because no other Orioles reliever <laughs> has a save besides Lopez. But beyond him, uh, yeah, there's, there's really not much to see. Yeah, I'm just stunned in leagues where I've been trying to get saves. It's been uh, it's been tricky so far. I mean, we talked about Hansel Robles last week. We talked about Danny Jimenez in Oakland. He's still out there in about two-thirds of CBS leagues. I'm not convinced he's going to keep that job, but sometimes you just need to have the job for a little while, and that's all that we, we care about from a fantasy perspective. Are there any situations that you're watching closely? I mean, Minnesota still looks like a committee. No changes really on that front, I know Emilio Pagan was ticking up in terms of his roster rates. He's up around 34%. I think we talked about Andres Munoz earlier in the week on the prospect show on Tuesday because the underlying numbers for him are, are filthy. So I, I can totally understand why you'd be interested in, in him as someone that could maybe be an upgrade over your last reliever spot. Uh, but any teams you're speculating on right now, anyone you've seen maybe a more established closer who hasn't looked good that you're you're wondering, hey, are they only one or two more bad outings away from possibly losing their hold on the job. I honestly can't see a a situation this week where, you know, like that scenario where you're describing where there's a, there's a clear reliever who could step in and uh, be, be useful. So 
like I said, if, if Lopez isn't available, I'm probably just taking the week off of trying to get closers uh, this week. Uh, if anything, the Marlins situation is getting less and less clear. I think they've had four different relievers get a save um, in succession. Um, I guess Cincinnati's a little intriguing because even though every time we talk about that red situation, it's about how it looks so clear that that's going to go a bunch of different ways. But I think with Lucas Sims back, maybe there's a chance he gets enough enough saves to be relevant. So I guess if I if I had to make a bid on somebody, I think I could make a pretty modest bid on Lucas Sims and not risk a whole lot. But that that's really about it. Yeah, I saw Devin Williams got a save on Thursday for the Brewers. That was because Josh Hader had pitched on Tuesday and Wednesday, so he was unavailable that day. Uh, wouldn't read too much into that. I mean, he's just the next guy up. If anything were to happen to Josh Hader, I think that's the way to look at that situation. The other, t- Brian Thompson had his second save of the season. That's still an ongoing committee. You know, Andrew Kittredge is kind of a good closer three, but he's got closer one skills, Al. He he could be really good if the Rays used him that way, but they're not using him that way. That Marlin situation you mentioned, it's a total mess right now. I took a few chances on Tanner Scott coming out of last weekend's fab. He's probably going to be my most consistently dropped pitcher going into this weekend because it's still just a bunch of uncertainty. Sometimes those inexpensive uh, bites of the apple, you know, sometimes you just have to keep moving on and, and looking for someone else. And I'm just surprised the Astros are going committee. I did not think they would go that route. I thought Hector Neris was going to be the guy with Presley out, and that has not been the case. Ryan Stanek picked up a save. Rafael Montero picked up a save. So uh, another messy situation to sort through. And, and maybe if you are looking for some reason to be optimistic with the Marlins, maybe Anthony Bender is trending back in the right direction but that one that one looks pretty messy as uh as we've seen throughout this season so far uh, and a good point here uh <laughs> Eadley in the chat of course the reds have to win games for their closing situation to matter <laughs> yeah hard to argue that I, I will agree with you though dvr that it's i don't think the reds it wouldn't take much for them to be better than they've been but they're better than they've been so i don't think that that's a, a completely hopeless uh bullpen situation but yeah that's a good point right now there's there's just not very many wins happening if you uh, want to keep an eye on a pitcher who's pitching pretty well i think right now josh winder could get a start soon according to dan hayes of the athletic looking at the twins rotation uh sunny gray still uh, making his way back from an injury scheduled for a rehab start maybe sunday possibly Tuesday, so could be an opportunity for Winder in there. It might be more of a stream situation right now, but really good numbers in the minors from Josh Winder. So if he gets an opportunity, he might be someone we're talking about in a future week and someone we're excited about in a future week, which is nice. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. $1 a month at theathletic.com slash podcast. There you can read Al's weekly ads and drops column that goes up every Friday, usually around the time that this show is available. Always going to be some players we probably don't talk about there that you want to read up on. Definitely check that out. Uh, as always, you can ask us questions on the show when we're recording 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube at The Athletic Fantasies. YouTube page. So be sure to jump over there if you have not been watching us live. If you have watched us live, thank you for doing that. And if you're listening to the podcast version of the show, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Al is on Twitter at AlMelkyRBB. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.